0: welcome to episode 56 of the brown and black podcast my name is jack rico and i'm mike sargent and every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens On this episode, we're going to be talking to Teresa Shaw. She is the co-creator and showrunner of Aquafina is Nora from Queens that is now on season two on Comedy Central. Mike, I had a great chance to talk to Teresa Hsiao. Uh She's Asian, and, you know, on this show, we usually do brown and black, but we've started including Asian Americans just simply because of their force within the media and Hollywood and entertainment space, and, and they're just really coming on strong, so I had a chance to talk with her about mainly how the Asian community feels right now about the on-screen representation that they're going through. And she really shed a lot of light. She revealed a lot of things about the business internally, uh, externally. I spoke to her about what she believes is probably the biggest crutch that Latinos uh, are taking. Are, are being challenged right now and why Asians who are 5.4 5.7 of the population or 5.4 almost the population uh, of on-screen representation yet Hispanics have like a 14% gap between on-screen representation and the rest of the American population So we talked about, you know, things like that, burden of Asian representation, what comedy today is like, and what's okay to say and what isn't, even for them. So it was a real interesting conversation. You weren't a part of it, and we'll get to that now, because my man's been filming a movie. That's kind of insane, man. So how you been? I haven't spoken to you in a while.
1: Okay, a couple things I have to say. I'm really interested to hearing this interview because I think some of the things that Asians have in common with brown and black folks is just that lack of representation, both on screen, behind the scenes, uh, in front of the camera, behind the camera, and politically. So I, I am very excited to hear that interview. But, yes, I have been directing a film. And, and you know, it's interesting, uh, Jack, because you were asking me before we started recording, you were like, well, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in a hotel in New Jersey where I've been filming this film. And you're like, you never go out. I thought you were doing it for <laughs> <laughs> So the, the interesting thing about that is that I originally was planning, this, this was originally going to be sort of a uh, Zoom horror film. And, uh, and oh uh, I, see, I see it was Zubarva and I was going to be directing it uh, virtually because I had taught a class in film and directed and did the whole class virtually. but but
0: can you actually direct a whole film virtually? Is that like a thing?
1: It, of course it is. it became a thing. Yes, it is. Yes, you can, yes, it is and there have been a number of things. you know, the producer of this film did a whole Broadway play. Virtually with everybody on green screen. Nobody met. It was called Estella Scrooge. And the whole thing was completely done virtually. So.
0: So you you. Uh, so this is a horror movie. Tell us more details about this film, because I know it came out on Variety. Variety. Uh, you got some, you got a legendary actor in there, man. Oh, man,
1: let me just say, all I will say is it's all about Keith David. Keith David is just, he's just amazing. But yes, you got Keith David, we got Bruce Davidson, and uh, definitely some other great actors. And I,
0: you're directing, you're co-writing? Well,
1: I'm directing, I'm co-writing, and I, let's put it this way, I'm not a huge horror fan. So when it came to me with this project, I developed it with the writer and, evolved to being more of a more like a HP Lovecraft, you know, supernatural science fiction. Mm. So uh, and, and it's great. We, we've got some great people working on the film. We've got a legendary, legendary effects guy, Vince Gastini, who did uh, probably people know him from a ton of stuff, but they probably know him most from the work he's done with Darren Aronofsky. Oh, wow. He was most known for the great work he did or, or Oscar nominee work, I believe, he did for Requiem for a Dream, which had amazing makeup. But he's done, like, all kinds of great stuff. And I have a couple of firsts in the film. You've never seen this effect done before. So, um, <laughs> but it, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's been a lot of fun to have been teaching, reviewing films, teaching film, interviewing nothing but writers, directors, producers, actors. And then to get back in the chair, as it were, is very, very gratifying. So this is actually the first media outlet, period, to, you know, for us to talk about, other than the announcement that came out in Variety and whatnot. So,
0: yo man, that's what Brown and Black is all about: exclusives. Now talking
1: about exclusives, talk to me. Don't (laughs) act like you were just sitting home all summer.
0: Tell me what. Yo man, I've just been staring at the the window (laughs) for (laughs) twiddling your thumbs, right
1: twiddling my <laughs> thumbs.
0: Uh, no, man, you know, it was it's been a, a busy summer, obviously, uh, you know, for both of us. And Spotify reached out to me and they're like, hey, Jack, who are you? Um, you know, we're 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 starting this new music and talk unlock series. It's a mini series that is about five. It's five episodes, five different subjects. It's about music and talk, which is a feature that they have on Spotify. Spotify ended up buying Anchor, which is a company where you can literally create a podcast from your phone. So they ended up buying them for I don't know how many millions. And one of the great features that they have is that it allows people to be able to kind of become their own, you know, DJs at a FM radio station like they always wanted to, except instead of having the distribution of like, you know, clear channel communications or Cox communications or anything like that, you get to do it from your phone and you have the internet as your distribution. So I think they wanted to kind of like push that and they were like, hey, let's come up with a brand new series. And we'll, we'll kind of promote these features with these, you know, guests that, that we get to pick. So one of the things, that, one of the subjects that they wanted to pick was Latinx. And it was interesting because when we first did it, they wanted to do something called Lyric Learn and Español, which is essentially learning lyrics for some of the biggest Latino jams in history. And we tried to do it, but just wasn't working out well. So we ended up re- scratching that. And then they came back to me and essentially said, "Look, we're going to rewrite the whole script for like a, a brand new concept." And the concept is essentially—it's uh, called Beat by Beat. It's on music on unlo- music and talk unlocked on Spotify exclusively. And Beat by Beat is a deconstruction of a particular song, uh, where we contextualize historically uh, what what these songs meant to the global culture at large. And, you know, what it means for Latino music and Spanish language music and languages and cultures, you know, throughout the world. And it was like a little explainer on on, on how big these songs are and, and, and what they truly represent, not just for Latinos, but outside of that. So we ended up recording it. Man, there's like a whole team behind it. We did everything virtually, you know, I was in and in, in New York, you know, and we we did everything through Zoom. Every time they was like, hey, can, can we redo that part? It was all done through through video chat, you know, and and um, it was an incredible experience. And then they edited their, their mass marketing it. It's, it's been great. Those types, I mean, I think when you get into the podcast business or any business in general, if you're ambitious, you want to get to the top of that industry, And for podcasting, the top of that industry for me right now is Spotify, Spotify and Apple podcasts. So the fact that I have an episode, a show on Spotify that's original produced by them, you know, the whole nine by them, I got to learn a lot and, you know, it's it's definitely one of the best bigger highlights of my whole career so that it it was a lot of fun man
1: so you did the whole thing virtually
0: we did the whole thing virtually I never saw a studio none of that stuff you know which goes to show you Yep. if you were gonna if you started shooting a whole film virtually and I ended up doing a whole podcast like at the top of the line through zoom what does that tell you, man?
1: There's no record for this, okay? And I'll say this here, and I hope my producers won't kill me. But it's interesting what you say because that what I thought you were going to say is that something along the lines of, if there's a will, there's a way. So, you know, <clears throat> leaning back into to the interview, you know, you could complain that there's a lack of Latino representation, a lack of Asian representation, on film, television and just complain, or you could create something and 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 that's your career. Your career is that you're gonna change these things. So so yes, I totally understand. I love the idea of what you're saying. Like they tried it, it didn't work. They came back with actually what sounds like a better idea.
0: But man, now it now now it sounds cool, man. Like four quadrant audiences, anybody can listen to that. It's not just for people who don't know the language. Like this is straight up for anybody who is who has heard the song and just wants to understand the breakdown of how that song was birthed, how it was created. So
1: this has been an interesting summer.
0: <laughs> oh, by the way, shout
1: out to Josh, our editor, and he's been my assistant on set every day.
0: Look at that. So Joshua Tirado edits our show, you know, we mention him at the end of every show on the outro. So he's part he's a student at Montclair State University, uh, program director of the year, college award radio winning of the program year. director, he, award winning <laughs> and just got nominated again, yes. the college radio station. So, you know, the the dude's going up and, and now he's on the movie set. So what better experience for, for a guy like Josh? It's
1: been a great summer.
0: You have to go to work. I can hear you. Teresa, how are you? Good. How are you? The first thing I kind of want to ask you is, where were you, I guess, and and how did you feel when you found out that season two was being renewed, especially after COVID in 2020 had canceled so many shows? Uh, You know, the first ones to go, unfortunately, are black, brown, ethnic uh, shows, so when you got the word that we're being renewed, what was that like for you?
2: Yeah, we were so ecstatic to be able to come back and do the show again, because like you said, we we don't have this many, these many kinds of shows on the air. And so especially working with the amazing cast and kind of, you know, going through the motions of season one, we kind of figured out how to do it a little bit. You know, we were sort of all doing this a little bit for the first time and kind of getting to know the characters a little bit more and seeing what you know, what worked and what didn't work. And so it felt really nice to just be able to say, okay, great, we can do it over. We're going to level it up this time and kind of go a little more, you know, like deeper into our, our characters uh, while still keeping obviously the fun of of season one.
0: Um, are you familiar with Tanya Siracho? I'm not. So she is the Latina showrunner writer. She's like an advocate of the culture, She's like on that Eva Longoria level, but, you know, more showrunner, more writer. And she did a show called Viva uh, mm-hmm. that was on Showtime, I believe. And I remember I had a conversation with her maybe about a week, two weeks, right before season her season three was renewed. And she was in shambles because she couldn't wait for that second season or that third season uh, to hit. It must have meant a lot to her to get that renewal for you what does it mean to have a television show that you executive produce and created on television
2: oh it's crazy oh. uh it's absolutely insane just the there's a lot of it that um i think in even when we sort of initially got the green light uh, of just being like, oh, my goodness, it's really happening. And then feeling the feeling the weight of the community on your shoulders and everyone really thinking about and looking at this and being like, it's going to be under the microscope because anything like this is. Uh, but then realizing as as we got into it and was we we're trying to tell the stories of like, all right, we don't this isn't a burden of, hey, represent the entire community because we're never going to be able to do that. And that's an insane thing. You've any- accepted
0: that. You've accepted accepted that.
2: that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, like the diaspora is large. We can't say we're going to represent everyone. What we can do is say, hey, we want to make a really fun show that we want to watch that is going to like make you laugh out loud and make you embarrassed and make you cringe and make you be like, oh, I can't show this to my parents. That's kind of the show that we were like, okay, we would we would love to make this because we never saw this growing up um, as well. Like we didn't see characters like this growing up. So for sure, there is a lot of pressure on that of when there aren't that many other shows like you of being like, oh, God, I hope people like it. And I hope it not only represents the community well, but it also represents us well, because we just want to make something that's funny. Uh, and there's definitely, you know, like the added pressure of just being one of the only ones. But I think luckily, even from when we started and we started, uh, we shot the pilot in twenty eighteen, we. Uh, it's, it's changing, um, a lot, you know? So, so being able to see way more TV shows that have Asian American cast, people of color cast, and it's, it feels like there's a tide that's shifting hopefully, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, a slow moving tide for sure. That's long overdue. So 2018 Aquafina
0: is released to the world and so much has happened in the last three years what were you guys going for uh, in this particular season? Is it all bubbled up in 2018, uh, and sort of a continuation of her life from that universe, or are we seeing dynamics change completely uh, in this season?
2: Yeah, so we uh, so we shot the pilot in 2018, but then we shot the rest of season one in 2019. Uh, so so ah. it actually, and then it aired um, kind of the first. A month in January 2020 so we're kind of playing season two as we're starting off as if we were back in 2019 sort of like the winter of 2019 so we're, we're starting off it's pre-pandemic so we're not really mentioning the pandemic at all in the first few episodes um, and kind of just it was nice to not have to think about that while we were shooting <laughs> season two and think about like oh my goodness what how do we deal with this because it was something that at least from my perspective I just I didn't want to go back to, uh, and didn't want to see, you know, on an entirety of a TV show, at least.
0: It's interesting because I think a lot of people would have been like, oh my God, we're going to be completely tone deaf. If we don't mention what happened in 2020, maybe we should do some reshoots. Maybe we should get the band back together to kind of, you know, do rewrite a couple of scenes. Was that ever even an idea?
2: Um, yeah, no, we we actually do kind of address, you know, sort of later on in the season, we do address um, the pandemic and kind of, especially in the timeline of the show happening a few, uh, a few sort of months after season one, which was technically in 2019, we do sort of address it, but it was kind of a topic that was discussed of, you know, what do we do? Do we ever, do we just like not have it in our world at all? And I think just because our show it is such a real show. It's really like authentic to our characters and the world. And especially being an Asian American show, uh, we felt like we, you know, had a responsibility of kind of saying, okay, this thing happened. Um, and not really putting a heavy hand to it, uh, at all, but sort of later in the season, there was kind of allusions to, you know, that, that whole life. And, you know, that was a, that was a tough decision. I think we had a lot of conversation of like, whether or not we do it, um, maybe wanting to stay away from it and there was always kind of the fine balance of, you know, you don't want to, again, we're a comedy. We're trying to make people laugh. Mm. Um, But at the same time, there are some real issues, you know, that we all went through last year and especially are still going through that need to be addressed. And especially with the platform that we have and being one of the only few Asian American shows out there um, that we felt like we needed to, to hit.
0: So we've been talking to Brown, Black, uh, Asian directors, um, that are comedians or writers or comedians in some way. And they really hate the state of comedy right now. They feel that they can't really even be themselves. Like everybody talks about authenticity and comedy. And I feel like comedians are the first ones to go, what authenticity I'm not allowed to be me. I'm constantly being bludgeoned by anything that I say. Um, and it's starting to affect comedians. So for you writing comedy in 2021, what is that like?
2: You know, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I feel like weirdly the the stuff that we're writing now, especially because um, we're, we're having this platform, where we're able to do it. Like, it does feel it, there's there's an extent of yes, you don't want to say the wrong thing because then you're going to get canceled, and all of a sudden, uh, like your their whole world's going to end. But at the same time, there's also this nice thing of like, hey, there are some jokes that were never okay. And I've been in a lot of writers' rooms where like you just hear things, then you're like you just have to go with it because it's just comedy. Like that's just a joke. Relax. And I think the nice thing about the current environment is that like, there are things that you're just like, I don't think this was ever a joke. It was just kind of more shock value than a joke and kind of Mm -hmm. redefining what it means to be funny and what, like what comedy is in essence is. And yeah, I think there's part of it. That's just like, Oh my gosh, PC culture. Like we can't say these things. That's that's terrible. But then there's also part of it. That's just like, Hey, we can all of a sudden show more people who have never gotten this kind of platform at all ever. And then they're sort of redefining what it means to be funny. You know, like we don't necessarily have to just go crazy insane and say like offensive things for it to be funny. Cause I've, I've definitely worked on many shows where it was just like, Hey, say the most offensive thing. And that's a joke.
0: How would you describe the comedy of Aquafina. I feel it's very unique and I have not been able to articulate it. So, why not ask the creator, um what exactly how would you describe the humor, not necessarily of just Aquafina uh, of Nora, but the the humor of the show itself.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny that you say you can't really describe it either because I think there's it's wacky but grounded and it's um there are insane elements, but I think it's all very heartfelt in a in a strange way. Like, we're raunchy, but we also really, like, try to be smart. And I think that there were always, there, it's, we're oxymorons in every single aspect of it, because I think there are so, so many elements of, like, for instance, in season one, you have an episode of her queefing, and you think, well, wow, that's just, you know, this is, like, insane, um, and this is just this kind of, like, lowbrow humor, but at the same time, it was, like, deep down inside, you know, like, we're also commenting on the state of like music musicians and like you know women's bodies and kind of like accepting that and being really open to that and so I think there's this kind of nice dichotomy that we try and we mostly go on like the the sort of other end of things of like we just want to make it funny but you know we really try to make it as have a thought behind it that actually is maybe a little bit. Um, makes it a little bit more real and a little bit more okay um, for us to just do our normal fart jokes that uh, you might see on any other thing. So for you,
0: lowbrow comedy versus highbrow comedy, who is this comedy for? Who's the target audience?
2: I look at us as a show that some people might say, oh, I just love watching it. I, when, But it's not like a guilty pleasure that you love watching. I think we're just mm. trying to kind of be authentic to like who she is in her brand of comedy and you know what she loves and i think that that's the fun thing about it. you know i feel like there's so many comedies comedies that you watch that are like actually really sad and they're really deep and serious and i'm like yeah those are, those are great they're really fun but i'm not like happy watching it and i the, the nice thing about the show that I, I i you know obviously i'm incredibly biased but i watch it and i feel happy and i think so much of that is to do with you know Nora and the cast and just people that you want to watch you root for them you know like you i root for Lori every single day you know like just seeing her and seeing her on screen and knowing what she's been through and being able to put her on a tv show and knowing how proud she is and how much she loves the show it's really really sweet and so really proud of that
0: teresa what was your adventure? What was your life's journey like? What was that adventure like from the moment that you decided to become a TV writer to where you are now? It was
2: a really kind of cir- a circuitous path, I think. Um, Cause I started off with the very kind of like Asian oriented mind of let's, let's do the thing that like, you know, that is like safe, that makes you money that your parents would be proud of. And I uh, was, Basically going to be an investment banker. And I spent a summer at uh, Lehman Brothers in 2006, where I watched uh, where I worked in this equity research group and putting buy ratings on JP Morgan and Bear Stearns and all these companies that in a year and a half went bankrupt and triggered a $700, 700000000000 billion government bailout. So I was in this kind of like financy path. And realized I was like, I don't like this. This is not something that I like or want to do. And I was working in finance at NBC Universal because I wanted to be near the entertainment business. And I was like writing jokes for the finance newsletter, <laughs> which were it was like it was like what, what am I even doing? What what is this? This is such a weird thing. And then just kind of decided, hey, I have to take the leap at some point. You can't just like think about doing the thing. You should actually try and do it. And so. Um, that was kind of the path where I was writing scripts on the side. I was, you know, doing blogs on the side, but then, you know, kind of getting the scripts in the right, right hands of people and then being able to um, work. My my very first job was on, on, on Family Guy. So that was a great kind of. Okay. I mean, what does it take to have
0: that as your first job? I mean, from business to writing on a major television show. On broadcast television.
2: Oh, yeah. No, and, and I don't mean to say it of like, oh, it just like it was this, and then all of a sudden it happened. It was so easy. It was like years and years of kind of writing on the side and working on the side and just mm. basic and I ended up working on a Canadian kids show in the interim where I was uh, you know, I was writing 20 episodes of television in 12 weeks, and it was just kind of like a weird uh operation where we were writing in like the attic of a church. Um and it was so there were there, there was definitely like sort of the lean times in between of just, but then I had a script. Um, I had a you know couple of scripts and ended up basically being able to submit myself or you know I had an agent at the time who submitted myself to, uh, submitted me to Family Guy. And they were looking for writers. And then it's just in that sort of staffing season time, I got meetings um, at a bunch of places and they were one of the meetings. And so I was able to be hired on that show. But it was absolutely, like you said, it was like you're in single A baseball and all of a sudden they're like, they call you up um, to play in the major leagues. And you're like, oh my God, am I ready for this? Is this real? Uh, It was incredibly lucky, but at the same time, like I don't want to say luck necessarily because I think a lot of people say that, right? They're like, oh, it was lucky, which of course it absolutely was but there was you know like there's an element of like i had been working for a long time for this so it and it ended up happening to work out but yeah it was it was a it was a crazy kind of multi multi-year process
0: did you feel that your life changed once you got american dad
2: yeah yeah you know um working on those shows there were such great uh like areas of just learning Um, so learning how to write jokes learning how to be funny like on the spot and working with really great people to kind of understand how the process works of how what it takes to create a television show and make a television show uh, Mm -hmm. be successful so it was it was absolutely a life-changing kind of kind of thing
0: when you write for animation how different is that for writing for real living people flesh and bones was there a transition for you creatively? Uh, did you start noticing nuances that maybe the viewer can't see? Uh, for you, what was that transition like, or is it is it exactly the same?
2: Oh no, it's very it is very different because obviously in animation you can kind of do whatever you want. You can blow off a character's head. You can send them shoot them off into space. Uh, you can do whatever. <laughs> um, and there's so many more things you can get away with in animation, like partly with. Uh, with sort of live action show, there's um, you know you're limited by your budget, you're limited by the things you're able to do, um, how it's going to look. There are all these limitations that you have. In animation, it is almost like a blank slate. You can kind of almost do anything, which is daunting, of course, in and of itself. But um, the nice thing about actually moving into that live action space was being able to work with actors and kind of understand. You know, in animation, pretty much the actors come in, they read their lines and they do the thing, and and, and, and that's, that's, a, you know, sort of one aspect of it. And in live action, it's very much like, all right, we're actually working together now. Of like, you know what, it's not coming out right. And, you know, out of your mouth because you're actually seeing you say the thing. And so that was definitely kind of a new experience of like, okay, obviously adjusting your, your writing to make it more uh, production friendly to make it more like, Oh, p- actual people are going to be doing this and saying this like cartoons mm-hmm. can get away with a lot of things, but real life actors, they might say something and it might be all of a sudden like not funny anymore. And so that was right. definitely an adjustment.
0: So within those times, were you the only Asian that was in the writing room?
2: Uh, on those shows um, <laughs> it was more uh, so on family guy, we, we actually had two Asian women on the show. Um, and i I worked Cherry, Shiva Prabhupada, who I um, am got to be very close with and we're writing we're actually writing a, a movie together. So
0: yes, congratulations with Adele oh, thank Lim. thank you.
2: Thanks. Yeah, yeah no the title at
0: the moment, yeah. So
2: we're not a lot of women uh, in those writer's rooms. I think it's getting better now, which is great um, because you want to see that. Uh, but that was definitely one of the tougher things of just kind of like figuring out, okay, you know, it, it, it's something to say like, oh, it was in the past, you know, like it was years ago. Um, but I think the nice thing about having those experiences was just, knowing that like okay when i have my own show and my own room it's going to look different from what i came up in
0: now your mindset has always been a confident person knowing that you were going to get your show um or oh, hell
2: no, no <laughs> oh my god no horrifying that's
0: be- because in the in the show aquafina aquafina really sort of thinks out loud about her own insecurities and how she's never going to be anybody and she's trying to be somebody but It's almost like destined. So I'm just wondering, is
2: that some of your own voice somewhere in there? Yeah. I mean, I think all of us, unless you're like a true psychopath, uh, have these kinds of insecurities that creep up all the time. And, you know, especially as a woman, too, you're just like always trying to like tamp down those insecurities. Or like the whole, even the whole thing earlier, just being like, don't say you got lucky, you know, be like, you deserve it. That kind of stuff would be like, all right. Always trying to be like, hey, remember you deserve these things. You th- you think, thinking about them, you deserve them, have the confidence of you know, the have a confidence of a mediocre white man kind of situation.
0: Right. Right.
2: Even, <laughs> even if it's like completely undeserved. Um, but no, I mean, I think never, never would have imagined like a being able to do the show, um, and kind of be given the reins to actually make the show that we wanted because, we were, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing a little bit. Um, we were kind of just figuring it all out. And part of it really was like, all right, we had an amazing team around us that were like really helpful and mm. kind of figuring out what everything was. We had an amazing writing staff for season one and season two. And it's just all all of it comes together. You know, like no show, obviously, is just its cast or just its creators. It's really the whole team. And that was that like they make us all look way better than uh, than we we come off.
0: For people, for young women that want to get into this business and they want to become um, showrunners, uh, the position of power um, within the television industry, what is it like to be a showrunner?
2: The best description of showing, um that I'm going to steal from uh, the writer Courtney King, who is the showrunner of Doogie, um, The new Doogie reboot on Disney Plus, she said, you know, basically you kind of go into the world as as a writer. You you go in as a writer and you're learning how to write. You're learning, especially in in comedy, you're learning how to do jokes. You're learning like story uh, jokes, everything. You're kind of you know production that that side of things, but it's really a writing job. And suddenly you're the showrunner, and they're like, hey take all those skills that you learned as a writer, and now you're also going to manage a 7-Eleven. And that was our sort of quote of what show running is. And that's exactly, you know, like there's this element of like you're writing, but then also now you have this management aspect of like, you're managing this whole group of people. Um, You're managing actors, you're managing crew. um, And it is a totally different animal. And so I would say it's, there's a different kind of level of creativity that you have to have, of course. Like, there's the creative element of like you want to make sure the scripts are right and you want to make sure the writer, writer's room is on track. But then there's also the execution element of like, oh, okay, we need to make sure everyone is happy and everyone's doing their job. And I think it's it's amazing. Like, it absolutely is a job that um, you know, like like you said, like young women should like aspire to. I had no idea that this was ever a thing when I was
0: growing oh, up. Really? So
2: I was just I was like, oh, I. I had no idea. I mean, I, I just wasn't in that kind of mindset, I guess. I didn't know like I didn't know entertainment and none of that. Um, but I always knew kind of I was like, I want to do something a little bit different. I wanna like I, I wanna be in charge. It's like this is the thing. Like, hey, I think I could be good at this. And I think I, you know, like am learning all the tools to be good at this. And eventually like it, it ends up happening. But yeah, it was it was a long road for sure. Um, and you know, there's all these little things along the way. I've just been like, are you good enough? Are you good enough? Those like insecurities popping in your head. Right. And, uh, and yeah, like again, just really grateful. Like the whole team, there's like a huge team around us that like really all helps us out. And in terms of like, obviously having the like amazing cast, just kind of, you know, Nora, BD, Lori, Bowen, they're just, sometimes you just let them run and just let them go. And you're just like, okay, we, I know it'll be good just because they're in the scene.
0: How did you end up meeting Aquafina, and what was was it like? Were besties for the rest of our lives? Were sisters, or was there a period of trying to figure each other out, trusting each other? How did
2: you guys meet? We were uh, actually set up by our agents um, back in 2016. Uh, I think so. It was a long time ago. And she had this, you know, she had this deal with Comedy Central they wanted to make a TV show. And so she was looking for writers. And to her credit, she wanted to find female Asian writers. Um, And so we met, we kind of clicked right away. And we went through a lot of different iterations of the show. We weren't really sure exactly what it was going to be like in the beginning. It was sort of more like, oh, it's kind of a millennial show with her friends. And then just getting to know her a little bit better and seeing how close she was with her family and seeing like how much love there was there it felt like, all right, you know what, this is really a show that's going to be about your family and, you know, a little bit more autobiographical than it was in the beginning. And yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I think from then until now, it's like, we met each other, like purely professional and now like, we're really close. She's, she's the, the great thing about her is she is a really great person. She has a great heart. She's a true professional. And it's always a pleasure working with someone like that because, you know, she has this, like, aura and personality sometimes where you're like, oh, that, like, she, she might just be, like, a stony, stonery, like, spacey person. But it's like, no, she's, she's locked in and she's really smart and she's super fun to work with.
0: Tell me about Bowen Yang. Um, he's had a meteoric rise as of late and, you know, Not every, everybody's sort of catching up with Bowen. What's so special about Bowen from your point of view?
2: Yeah. So it's so funny because we actually, um, we cast Bowen uh, before he was even on SNL. We actually learned he was going to be a writer on SNL on the show. Um, And also we found out he got the call that he was going to become a cast member while he was on set with us. And so, you know, it's crazy because it really was, you're just watching a lot of auditions for Edmund and we had in our minds, it was a totally different type of character. It was kind of more this like really douchey, broy kind of guy. Bowen <laughs> came on and just made us laugh. And we were like, actually, this is he's the guy. Like we were gonna rewrite the character to fit him because wow. it's not, you know, it's it's no longer this like. Total bro, it's going to be this guy who's like, and, and the great thing, amazing thing about Bowen that he's able to bring out is just like, he's got this, like, he's kind of a jerk to Nora, but at the same time, you can sense this vulnerability in him that it's like coming from a really deep emotional place. And he's, again, I, I can't speak more like about our cast who they're just all really, really great. And just like being able to finally like have a show that they're, they're all like really excited about. Like, I I think, especially like Lori and Beatty, they like really haven't been able to kind of just like be on a show where there are more than one Asian person. And then being able to have like the freedom to kind of play as they do. It's, it's been fun.
0: So one of the legends, I mean, and, and there's many of them, but Margaret Cho is doing a guest appearance at the season uh tell me a little bit about that moment of having margaret come into your show i'm sure you watched her you know her original show years ago and what she represents to uh age the asian community in terms of the hollywood system what was it like to have her there and what did she bring and what any stories that you could tell and
2: share oh my gosh she's she's amazing absolutely amazing um and yeah i i grew up you know watching her and being like wow again not not a lot of faces that you see and you remember every single one anytime you see something you're like whoa that's crazy truly groundbreaking and yeah she has a couple uh, she's a two episode arc um with us at the end of the season um and she just plays this kind of zany character uh and she was just it was really really it, it fe- I felt like it kind of came full circle of just like the OG, you know, Margaret Cho. And again, we've had, well, there's so many OGs, you know, Lori, basically BD, you know, like they're, they've all kind of paved the way for us to do what we are able to do on this show. It's like, like if without them, the people, people really wouldn't be, you know, like we wouldn't have been able to have this like opportunity to do this. So uh, it was really, it was really cool having, having her on set.
0: I had a chance to talk to Randall Park uh, a few months ago and, um you know, at the time he was, he's creating a a production company to tell uh, agent stories. And I think he had sold one or two shows or he was in the process of that. And one of the big problems, uh, at least for me, has been in the Latino community, the lack of programming. Teresa, we are getting our shows, all our shows are being canceled. Like we are being fully erased from broadcast, we're being erased from cable. There's really not much, you know, in the streaming universe. So I had asked Randall. I go, Randall, what kind of advice can you give us? What really gets a show, you know, at least even in development, let alone, you know, uh, a pilot greenlit or whatever, is, is the package. What stars do you bring? uh to that package you know along with that idea what what famous director do you attach how would you describe to us how we can get in. How can Latino stories get in the way Asian stories are breaking through? Like, In the Heights was supposed to be the crazy rich Asians. That's the way it was molded. That's the way it was framed. Uh, uh, John Chu directed In the Heights. It didn't work out, but it worked out for the Asian community. And we're going, what do we have to do? What do we have to do to get Sort of just a bit of a recognition. So, from your perspective, you're successful. You guys have made it. You have your own show. It's in its second season. You're about to do a movie. What can Latino creators writers do to break through into Hollywood? From your perspective,
2: gosh, I, the the crazy thing for me is that it's, it's not anything that you guys have to do. It's really the system has to change. Mm. And like that's an insane thing. I mean the I feel like In the Heights, which is a great movie. And the the hard thing was I saw it in my house. You know, it's like I didn't get to see it in theaters. And of course, that's sort of a casualty of the pandemic, but not having like I think Crazy Rich Asians really opened the door for us. It was such a sort of groundbreaking watershed moment of the executives and all the people in charge with with the purse strings. They said, oh, wait, Asian people will come out for this. Um, And that was really showcasing that. And I think a lot of like, for instance, our show, we got greenlit after the success of crazy rich Asians. And I think a lot of other shows in the same sort of way of just people thinking, okay, great. They'll come out for this. We know it's an entity because like, they don't want to like spend the money without having that like proof. And that's the, that's the tough thing of just having, unfortunately within the Heights, it felt like if that had gone out and done gangbusters, but because of, you know, the weird uh, release of it, that was a really tough thing that it just couldn't be like a huge, huge hit. And so for me, I I don't want to say like, it's anything that the creators have to do. It's like the content is out there. Like we are all doing it. We're all making it. And it's just the studios that have to, you know, basically take chances on things and be able to say, Hey, I want to make this because it's an authentic story. And, and actually make it happen because I think they all say they want to do it, but then it's very rare when it actually happens. Um, and that's a, I, I mean, it's, it is truly insane why we can't have more content. You know, you have like 80 shows out there that are all like, Hey, here's the the same three guys, two guys, whatever, doing the same thing. And it's just because they have a track record is because they have the experience because, again, the the people in the past that have the experience, they all get to make their own shows, but we don't ever get the experience like a handful of us ever get the experience. And so they have to take chances on on people like us because it's and, and it's like it's not like I, I feel like we we are doing it. We're doing the thing. It's just like people. I mean, unless we we get all the billions of dollars and we're able to take chances on our own. Um, unfortunately, that's. I, I think that's just kind of weirdly how the system is right now, which is a huge bummer.
0: So you went from banking to writing for animation to writing for your own show that you showrun, and now you're catapulting over to film, uh, which is the king of all mediums. Um, what has this time been like for you? Um, how are you mentally prepared for this next chapter Uh, of your profession. What kind of stories do you want to tell? And can you tell us a little bit about the project that you're doing with Adele?
2: In in terms of the sort of next thing, it's just like, yeah, we want to be able to tell more stories featuring um, Asian American characters that you haven't seen before. We want to sort of stories that we would have wanted to see growing up. And, um, you know, this movie has been kind of a labor of love for, for the past few years, between uh, me and Cherry, who wrote the movie, and then Adele, who also like, we would just go into Adele's house and kind of like storyboard things. You know, like put up put up post uh, put up uh, post it notes on a board and kind of figure out what this movie was. And just we want to make it R rated and raunchy and something that's super fun and embarrassing that our parents would blush at. And I, I think that that will hopefully will be the case. Um, I don't think I will watch it with my parents. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it has really been a blessing, but it is kind of just like you said, like a lucky wave that sort of happened because of the success of one thing that was like, okay, Hey, this can usher in a bunch of things. And it's crazy because last year during TCAs, someone actually, someone actually asked, uh, a reporter asked me the question of like, Hey, um, do you think it's a trend of like Asian American things? And I'm like, gosh, and we're, we're, we're like, we've been around, we're not like, a, we're not going anywhere, like a trend right. like low bottom low bottom jeans or whatever, you know, like uh high waisted jeans. Like we're not, we're, we're still here. Um, so I think it's kind of the same thing of just like things get hot and then they'll like ride the wave. And then I don't know. Right. And we're just hoping we like, okay, well this, it's not just a wave. like, hopefully it'll like kind of stay, stay up here. So. Wanted to get,
0: to see if you can um, give us some personal recommendations of any TV shows that you've been watching, any books that you've been reading.
2: Book recommendation um, is Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. It's uh, just a really, it's, it's I, I think the sort of um, subtitle of the book is like an Asian American reckoning. And there's so many, it's, um, you know, Kathy Park Hong, she's a poet, but she writes this really lyrical, like, memoir-esque kind of um, book that's, that's all about kind of her experiences, experiences being Asian American and the sort of minor feelings of like the microaggressions that sort of happen along your life that kind of build up, that build up over time. And then you start realizing you're like, oh, this, these are something, things that we think about that other people don't have to think about necessarily. Um, And so that was a really, that was like an amazing read that, it's you know reading one of those books that you're like oh my gosh this is totally my life right now i uh, really feeling this is like horrifying um, it's like she sees me in a way um so that that's wow. that's my like definite recommendation of uh, uh of reading of, of, of that book for sure
0: That's it for this 56th episode of Brown and Black. We'd like to thank Teresa Shaw for joining us on the show. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by the award-winning Joshua Tirado, who's on a movie set right now. You can follow our comments and opinions on Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, where you can actually catch the video version of this interview with Teresa Shaw. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black.